0: Genesis 17, as we keep making our way through this book. I hope you're enjoying it. I told you Genesis is a great book, and uh, sometimes we just think, well, it's the first book of the Bible, but boy, there is so much in it and so many uh, practical lessons for you and I, and we're going to see some more today about the heart. I want to read the whole chapter this morning as we get started because I'm not going to hit on everything, and so I want you to know at least what's there, and then you could go back on your own and kind of pursue some of the stuff that maybe I don't hit on if it's of interest to you. So Genesis 17. Now when Abram was 99 years old the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him I am God Almighty walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I'll I'll multiply you exceedingly and Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying as for me behold my covenant is with you and you will be the father of a multitude of nations no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you, uh, I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I'll give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. and You shall be circumcised in the flesh on your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descendant. A servant who is born in your house and who is bought with money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But... An uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off uh, from his people. He has broken my covenant. And then God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I'll bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. And then I'll bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham, Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. And he said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and I'll make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princesses and I I will make um, him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. And when he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and the servants who were born in his house and all who were brought uh, with money every male among the men of um, Abraham's household. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in that very day, and God's, as God had said to him. Now Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And in the very same day Abraham was circumcised, and Ishmael his son, and the men of his household who were born in the house And bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Let's pray. Father, as we just look at this passage of Scripture this morning, Lord, it it may seem like um, what the heck does circumcision have to do with anything? But Lord, um, we we will see that it is a wonderful message of that work that you want to do in our lives and on our heart. And so, Father, just let us sit here now. Let us just... uh, Hear your voice through your word. Um, we pray that you'll speak to us, Lord, the situations we find ourselves in, the things that are on our hearts and minds of late. And your word will just uh, bring comfort. Your word will bring revelation, Lord. And so we just look to you now, Lord. Open your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we move into um, chapter 17, understand that Um, 13 years have passed since uh, the things that we saw in chapter 16. If you look at the 16th verse of chapter 16, you can see it says that Abram was 86 there. And then, of course, as we started 17, it says he's now 99. And so this period of time has passed, 13 years, uh, since uh, Sarah became impatient. Remember, they had been in the land 10 years before she did what she did with Hagar. And so getting impatient and Abraham being guilty too, they, uh Abraham slept with Hagar, the maidservant. And of course, uh, Ishmael was born. And so um, we get beyond all that and 13 years have passed and we come now then again where the Lord now comes once again to Abraham. Again, he's 99 years old and he comes again to reaffirm that promise that he had made to him that he would give him a son and that he would become a great nation Um, he appears to Abraham and we're not really told how he appeared to Abraham or in what form we know that um, God does not appear God the Father does not appear directly to human beings and so there was some way that he appeared and we're not sure how but he did and notice what he says there in that first verse he says I am God Almighty walk before me and be blameless. Um, When he says God Almighty, you know what that means in Hebrew. You probably go, really? I didn't know I knew much Hebrew. But it's a word, El Shaddai. And so God now comes, and this is the first time that name appears in the Bible, um, where the Lord says, Abraham, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. And of course, that's not very hard to understand. The word Almighty speaks of God's power, it speaks of God's might. So we could say that he's a mighty God and the God of all power. So not some power and some might, but really it's saying that all might, ultimately, all power is mine. In the When you study theology, this is where they'll put in that word, the word uh, uh, omnipotent. And that's just a big word to mean that God is all powerful. And so that's what he says here. And it's interesting when he says this, that I'm the God almighty, that you'll find that that word is used quite a bit throughout the New Testament, I mean Old Testament, but m- nowhere is it used more than, this won't surprise you once I say it, than the book of Job. And 31 times in the book of Job, God comes to Job and says, I'm El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. And of course, if you only know a little bit about the book of Job, you realize how comforting that must have been to him to hear that. And so this is what happens. Um, Abraham is reminded um, Um, about the promise that God had made to him. And again, how fitting, isn't it? Because not only now they have been in the land 23 years, and he was told to leave the land of Ur, and he was promised that he'd become a great nation and looking forward to that son, but 23 years have passed and it still hasn't happened. And so what better time than now for God to come and say, Abraham, I want you to know who I am. I'm the Almighty God. And so I can do this thing that I promised you. So that's what he says to him, And at times it'd probably be a good thing for you and I to address God in these ways. You know, I'm not going to do it right now and maybe someday I'll do it again. I've done it before, a study of the names of God, especially as they're found in the Old Testament. But it is a great study and you should, on your own, you should have a book in your library. Um, They're out there and if you do some searching, you could find them. That lets you know that because... How good it is so often when we're in need, we might call upon God and say, God, help me or God do this. But sometimes how much better it'd be to to say, you know, El Shaddai, God Almighty, and and remind ourselves of who he is and, and what he can do and so he can meet that circumstance that we're facing. But he comes to Abraham, he says, I'm God Almighty, and he says, walk before me and be blameless. Your Bible might even use the word be perfect, the King James does. The New Living says, I am God Almighty, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. And so the covenant, understand, wasn't contingent on Abraham living a perfect or blameless life. It wasn't like God says, Abraham, if you do this, then I'll do that. But the Lord was looking for Abraham to serve him and and to be upright. That's what the word there means when it says blameless or perfect. It can be translated, Abraham, be upright, be mature, be spiritually mature, be one who then reflects the Lord himself. And so the Lord is looking for that same thing in you and I, you guys. He's looking for a people whose, whose heart, whose life really do belong to him. It's not some game that we're playing or just something we want others to think about us. But he has our heart. And, and serving and being his servant is an important thing to us. I read this funny story about a Sunday school teacher that was teaching his class of elementary school kids about the story of Lazarus and the rich man that's found in the New Testament. He high- highlighted the plight of Lazarus and uh, the blatant neglect of the rich man. Of course, one, the rich man, had much in this world, and the other found peace in heaven. And after the teacher had shared with these kids uh, the truths of that, he then said to them, now, which would you rather be, the rich man or Lazarus, than... One little boy raised his hand and he said, well, I'd like to be the rich man while I'm living and Lazarus when I'm dead. And of course, that's not what God is saying. See, you can't have it that way. And God is calling you and I then to, to, to walk this way, to, to walk a blameless walk. And again, you guys, it doesn't mean to be perfect and the minute we make a mistake, then we should just you know throw in the towel and say, what's the use? But there should be that desire in our heart to, to walk in God's way. To, yes, see the sin that's in our life, see that thing that needs to be overcome in our life, but then make sure we're doing what we can to overcome it. So what does he say there? He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. And of course, again, that would be the son born to him. In this passage, we, we now see the son named, don't we? His name will be called Isaac. Notice God names him. And he says that a year from now, he said to him, Sarah will have that child. And so this son born to you, Isaac, will come and you will be a father of great nation. And so then he goes and he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And father of multitude is what Abraham means. And so Abraham meant exalted father, thinking of God the Father. But now he says, as I bring forth this son in your life, as I bring forth this incredible multitude, Abraham, that is still going on to this day, not only would notice that it, it says an everlasting covenant and uh, everlasting possession, He gives them the land. So any thought that God is done with Israel and done with the Jewish people, you just can't back it up with Scripture. God is still working there. But that's what He says here. He says, I will now change your name to be Father of the multitude. And So every time someone said now to Him, Abraham, He was reminded of this. You know, hey Abraham, or, or Abraham, can I ask you a question? Or Abraham, what do you want us to do about this situation? Or good morning, Abraham. Uh, here's your lunch, Abraham. Or good night, Abraham. Every single time. 25, 30, 50 times a day. His name was being called by family, friends. Saying, good morning, father of the multitude. You know, Here's your lunch, father of the multitude. What do you want to do about this situation, father of the multitude? See, what a beautiful picture it is, isn't it? That God took his name and changed it. You know, can you imagine how this would have hit him? You know, once in a while I've bumped into a few people and usually in their college age where I've known a couple that have, they've changed their name. But most of us kind of like our name and we're stuck with it. And it's okay, don't change my name. But could you imagine being Abraham? And for all those years you'd just been called Abram and now all of a sudden everybody's referring to you as Abraham. And at least at first it would have jarred you and you'd realize, oh, that's right, he changed my name because of what my name meant. Just like you and I, we don't even know what our name means. Some of them don't mean much at all, really. Biblical times, they got named because of the meaning of the name. So that's what God does now. And he changes his name and he'd be constantly reminding that Abraham of the, the promise that he had made, how he'd given him this heir and this vast amount of land and vast amount of people. And even kings, it says, would come. And we know, of course, the kings that did come. And, you know, the ultimate king that came from the line of Abraham was Jesus Christ himself. Ken Hughes, I really like what he has to say. He's a pastor back in the Midwest in Illinois. And he says this about this whole thing. He says, Christian, it is the same for us. The way we live is determined by what we think of God. If God is El Shaddai, the awesome, mighty God of this account, then our lives will be lived out. We'll live out the fullness of God's promise to us. What you truly believe about God is the most important thing in your life. Any thought of God less potent than the God of Abram will shrink your soul and, and neutralize your faith. And you guys, that's a challenge, isn't it? To always keep before us who God is. I was talking to a brother in the fellowship yesterday and he's about ready to go through some back surgery a little bit more severe than what I just went through a few months ago. And one thing I shared with him is, listen, when you come out of it, man, just keep your attitude positive. And I don't mean that, you know, I'm not one of these positive thinkers and positive confession and all that junk. But what I meant is just keep just keep on your eyes on the Lord. Because you're going to get discouraged. You're going to start looking at your age. He's my age. And you're going to look at your age and you're going to think, what's going on, God? What are you doing in my life? What does this mean for the future? But in time, God will start repairing the back and Everything else, and and see, guys, it's so important that we understand who God is, because how we see our God has a direct impact on how we see the thing that we're going through. Years ago, um, there's a a New Testament paraphrase um, of the uh, by J.B. Phillips, and he wrote a few books, and one of them is that he's got a book out called "Your God Is Too Small." And it's an excellent book because that's the premise of the book is that so often as believers, um, we, we just picture God as just a small God that can't do much and how it impacts our life in the same way. And so again, you guys, don't do that. And, and understand that's what God was calling Abraham to do here as he, he's told him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Well, he goes on, verse 9, and he says, God said further to Abraham, so having reminded him of the covenant, reminded him what he was going to do, um, he says uh, to Abraham, now, as as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generation, and this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you, and every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generation." a servant who was born in the house or who was bought with money from any foreigner um, who is not of your descendants, a servant who was born in your house and who was bought with your money surely uh, shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And so as part of this covenant that God had made with Abraham and for generations to come, the males were to be circumcised and, and it would be assigned to them. That they belonged to God. They were to walk accordingly. And what an incredible thing. You know, I'm going to be careful and not get into too much detail here. But, you know, that's what it was meant to be. It wasn't meant to be as a right or, or like um, because of this, then I have this privilege. You know, but it was to be that reminder that they were the people of God. It'd be much like today with you ladies when you wear a cross. Hopefully you don't just don't wear a cross because it's pretty and it means nothing to you. But I hope when you wear a necklace and it's a cross necklace that every time you see it throughout the day you do it and you remember what your Lord did for you. what your, That he died for you, see. And it's the same type of thing that now he would give them this, this sign. It's interesting. There's a few things here I want to show you. Um, the one thing about this circumcision notice in verse 12 when he says that it was to be done from this point on unfortunately for the guys here it was to be done now. Abraham's 99. But he said, and you know what I'm talking about. A little discomfort here. But uh, he said, after this, do it when the kid's eight years old. There's some real interesting things here, you guys, that I want to show you. One that so often, really, medical science is catching up to the Bible. You know why God said eight days, At the day, do it? The reason is, you guys, is that that is when the, at least I don't know about the female body, but the male body starts producing vitamin K. And vitamin K is the thing that clots our blood. And so God said on the eighth day when that vitamin K is being produced, that's when I want the kids circumcised. And I even heard one guy explain that really it is at that point in the baby's life. Even, after, even into adulthood, they have more vitamin K right then than into adulthood. So it's interesting that God said this is when you want it done. And so you may say, well, then why do they do it right after? And that's because... They give them a shot of vitamin K when they're born. See, and that's why they can do it right away. But God knew what he was doing. God said, you know, 8 days that's when I program the body to start producing this vitamin. And that's when I want you to circumcise. You know, the other thing that's interesting is the act of circumcision wasn't just started right here. It actually existed in the world before this. It was practiced by the Egyptians, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Moabites and others. The Philistines, you'll remember, were called the uncircumcised. And that's because they didn't practice it. But now it took on this special meaning um, as it would be for Abraham and his descendants. And that's an interesting thing. Let me help you understand that. It's it's kind of like the rainbow. You know, they say, and this is a debate, when did it actually start raining on the earth? Do you, now Some of you are just going to hear this for the first time and go, what are you talking about? But they say that until the flood there was actually this type of canopy that surrounded the earth. And so it didn't rain like we know it rained today. But prior to to Noah being given the rainbow as a sign of the covenant that God said, Noah, I'll never flood the earth again, there were rainbows. And even if it didn't rain, if there was a waterfall and there was mist from that waterfall and the sun hit that waterfall, there would be a rainbow. And so just as that was the case, once God then made that he took the rainbow as a sign for Noah and made it special we see the same thing when you get into the book of Exodus and the children of Israel are being led out of the wilderness it's at that point what does God do that hadn't been, hasn't been done that point he makes a Sabbath day special doesn't he and it's a, it's a sign of his covenant and so again the rainbow existed before Noah but God made it special the Sabbath, there were, the seventh day existed before that, but he makes it special. And so now, too, even though circumcision had been in the world, God took it and God said, Abraham, I'm going to make it significant and this is what I'm going to do for you. And so it, it, it had been a sign that had been there. It's interesting. It doesn't have to anything to do with circumcision. But I thought, especially in the light that we're going to take communion after the service this morning or after the teaching, is that. The crucifixion existed before Jesus died upon the cross as well. You know that. That was how the Romans put people to death. But when Jesus died upon the cross, all of a sudden God put a special meaning on the cross from that point on, especially for you and I as believers. First of all, it speaks to the way of salvation. But when we think of the cross now, we think of the way of salvation. We think of salvation provided. We think of the forgiveness of sin. We think of the suffering of Christ. We think of our own suffering. That we are counted worthy to suffer as he has suffered. And so again, there was crucifixion before. But at that point, God said, now the cross will become significant. And again, circumcision still has meaning for us today, you guys. Ladies, even for you. It really does, and I want to show you. Paul defined circumcision, the true meaning of circumcision as that which is of the heart and by the spirit. And so all of a sudden now we see that it goes beyond the physical and it takes on spiritual application for both female and male. And so today all New Testament believers are to have everything that surrounds one's heart is to be cut away. That their heart can be completely God's heart. And that's what the Lord wants of you and I. It speaks really of the holiness that the Lord wants To be in yours in my life. And so as the skin was to to be cut away, notice, and what was done, That was cut away and the skin was removed from these children at eight days or even, unfortunately, all these adults here. There is to be that separation in our lives, you guys, from the flesh, from the world, too. And really, we need that, don't we? God wants to come into our life at a set point in time and He says, I want to make a change in your life and from this point on, I want you to be separate. I want to separate you. I think it's significant we think of the flesh and the world. They're tied together, but boy, what a fleshly world we live in today. There is so much out there to stimulate you and I in our flesh. And it's not just guys, but guys, Lord knows there's way too much for you and I. And God wants us to be separate of that. You know, sometimes it may feel like, man, I don't feel like I'm much separated from the flesh or the world. Again, maybe you're not realizing your God is El Shaddai and you're not asking him to make that separation. But he wants to make that separation. He can make that separation. and That's what he wants. See, for the Jewish person, circumcision said that you are a member of an elect people. Of an elect nation, a peculiar people, distinct and holy before God. That's taken out of Deuteronomy. But under the leading of the Holy Spirit, God gave the exact same idea to Peter in 1 Peter 2, 8 and 9 when he says, you, speaking of believers in the New Testament, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. And so, that which once surrounded our hearts, you guys, hardness, you know, the the world, self, sin, whatever it is, it's to be cut away. And now our hearts are to be controlled by the Lord. They reflect His holiness. And are we there? No. But we can be there, and God wants to keep doing that, that work. And you know, it isn't something new. You might think, well, in the Old Testament... You know, circumcision was a physical thing. It was a sign that we're talking about today. But you know, it's really always been a matter of the heart. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise, listen to this, your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. And that's what God wants to do to you and I. He wants to circumcise our heart so that we will love Him with all our heart, with all our soul. See, what a beautiful thing that is. That's a description of being born again. That's a description of being saved, see. Because it isn't as if we see our need and then we come to the Lord and ask Him to save us, and then we pick up again and we try to bring this about. No, it says that let God circumcise your heart. And as God takes over your heart and controls your heart, as God peels the things away of this world, of the flesh, away from your heart, guess what? A desire will start growing in you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. In other words, with all you are is what it means there. And so this this openness of heart, this tenderness of heart, this work of the Spirit, not man's hand, you guys, it's vital for you and I today. It really is. It has to be there. If it isn't there, if our heart is is hard, we need to look at that. Something's wrong. You know, sadly, we may either, some never know, and maybe there's some of you here today that you've never, in a sense, been that circumcised in your heart. That's never taken place. and Or maybe, I think it's possible, in a way, I don't, you know, how to explain it theologically to you. Um, but, I think we can once have a tender heart and then all of a sudden our heart isn't tender anymore. And you say, well, how can you say that? Scott, well, I know that because I watch my own heart do the same thing. And I think it's important we understand that. You know, many Jews of Paul's days were like this. That was Paul was facing. In Romans 2, at verse 28, he says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. And so in other words, what Paul was facing, they were saying to him, who do you think you are, Paul? We're Jews. We're not only Jews. We 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 honor the Sabbath. We tithe. We fast. Well, we've been circumcised, Paul. How dare you tell us that we're not of God? But Paul says, no. But he, verse 29, is a Jew who is one outwardly and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. And so Paul made it clear that you know, here's these Jews that were hard. You could say, in a sense, they were saying we're circumcised, and Paul saying, "Oh no, you're not. Yes, we are. No, you're not. You may be circumcised physically, but you're not circumcised physically." And so it was a battle. And again, it, we have to think about that. And so, what is the Lord's exhortation? The Lord's exhortation. It's all over the place. First of all, Deuteronomy 10: 16, "Circumcise then your heart, and stiffen your neck no more." I love the Old Testament sometimes, you know? You know? Circumcise your heart, stiffen not thy neck. <laughs> you know? Why? Because we relate to that, don't we? Stiff neck means stubborn, you know? We're all that way. Seriously. If you're not that way, if you don't think you're that way, let's have lunch this week. I'll help you see it, okay? <laughs> but we are. But God says, don't be that way. And Jeremiah 4.4. 4. Again, you see that even in the Old Testament, we see this is what God was after. He says, circumcise yourself to the Lord and remove what? The foreskin of your heart. Men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like a fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. And so God's call has always been right into the New Testament. Let me have your heart. See, that's what it's saying. Okay. That's really, you see the picture? The circumcision is just kind of the, it's an analogy God is using here to say, I want your heart. And I want to cut away that which once surrounded or even now surrounds it. And I want to, you know, put my mark on your heart. You know, I was thinking as as I was getting ready for today and just thinking that about God, because this is what we're talking about here. God wants to put a mark on us. You know, he wants our heart. He he wants the mark to be people could see our heart as his. And I was thinking when I was a kid, there are all kinds of marks I had on my body. You know, when I was a kid, pop cans weren't aluminum. They were tin. And Some of you will remember that. And they were great because you could step on them and they would really form around your shoe heel. And and seriously, the, today they don't do that or they will, but they come off. And so you could do that. And just, you know, you go clink, 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 clunk. You, know, you know, kids just like to do that junk. It's like, you know, baseball cards and spokes of a bicycle, okay? But I remember one time I did that, and, and of course a tin can will start to cut, and it splintered on the edge and got real sharp, and I didn't know it, and I was running, and my one leg came across and cut this thought my shin, my, my uh, what is this, calf right here. And uh, to this day I could show you. I'll give you all the, de- you know, there's this little smiley thing that the, it's all white, you know, because it should have had stitches. But I didn't want to tell my mom, you know. I just felt, oh, look what I did. And it was pretty bad, actually. I don't know how I bandaged it up, and you know, so she didn't know or anything, and, you know, it healed. But if you look at it today, you'll go, oh, yeah, that should have had some stitches in it. You know, and so it was one mark. Or I think of the um, when I was a kid, it was skateboards. We weren't like the kids today. The kids today are kind of wimpy and uh and so they take their skateboards and they might they have they might have better skateboards than we did but all they do is stand there and they jump in the air and try to flip them over and all that you know when we were kids we we had not only skateboards but they had metal wheels and we only did one thing with our skateboards we raced that's all we did we just find hills and race and in where i grew up in my neighborhood we 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 had just one rule first one to the bottom wins and however you get there doesn't matter and so I can remember one time we were racing down this hill and I don't know who did it, but somebody shoved me and I fell forward and landed on my left arm and just busted it up. And so for a while I had that mark of a cast. And and so again, there's these marks. I, I think of another mark in my life was one of the best marks that's ever happened in my life was the mark that my wife Wink put on my life. And I can remember the day I saw her and you know I know it doesn't happen for everybody, but... I think it was love at first sight. Because I just, I could just remember it. As we, I say here, I can just go right to that scene and see her and picture it and what a mark she has. But you guys listen to me. It's not the mark of a skateboard. It's not the mark of a pop can. It's not even the mark of a wonderful relationship. God desires to put that spiritual mark on us. That mark that comes from inviting Christ into our life. What the Bible calls to be born again. Jesus said in john three three truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and so that's what God wants to do. That's what this spiritual circumcision is. it's that work that God wants to do titus says he called titus Paul called it to Titus the regeneration, he said. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but acts, uh, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants to do in our life. And as the Lord was telling Abraham when He said, every male among you is to be circumcised, God wants His mark on you and I. And be careful this morning. Be careful that first of all, that there is that mark there. If, if you are here this morning and you've been here multiple times and yet you still have not given your life to Christ with no disrespect and with as much love as I can tell you, what are you doing? What game are you playing? What Russian roulette thing are you doing that you just you can hear the gospel, you can hear the things of Christ and yet you still haven't made that decision? What's it going to take when, until you finally say, "Okay, Lord, cut away, cut away, and cause me to be born again"? But if we've done that, please be careful that your heart is. It, it really, if I could be so crude as to say that it that it may we never leave that place of that like it like it's just been circumcised for the first time. See, because that's what God wants. God wants a heart that is his and, and that he could surround, that he can hold, that he can control, that he can shelter, that, that he can protect. And so again, you know where you're at with the Lord just as I know where I'm at with the Lord. And if you're not where you should be, if your heart is not where you should be, we're going to take a communion in just a minute. There'll be some more worship. And as we do that, then you've got some business to take care of. You really do. Don't play a game here. God has laid forth His Word. Yes, He's used me in this and that, but this is where we're at. And He's send you, do you see your heart? Do you see where it's not and where I want it to be? Take care of it. And if you're here and your heart is where it needs to be, then just praise God. You know why? Because it's not you that's kept your heart there. It's God. See? And just say, God, I'm so unworthy, I'm so thankful for where I'm at right now so if the worship team would come back up we want to take a communion this morning and let's just as we do you, the juice and the bread would pass out you hang on to it but would you think of your heart this morning think of that spiritual circumcision that God wants to do upon us that place you know the Bible when it speaks of the heart you guys doesn't mean the physical organ of course you look it up in the Greek It really is a word that's described to mean that all we are, that's where it flows from. Who we are emotionally, physically, spiritually, everything. That's where it flows from, the heart. And God is saying this morning, I want it. That's mine. Not a bad thing, huh? Now you could say, how dare you? Who do you think you are that you can have my heart? Or you can say, oh, the Creator wants my heart? No problem. Take it. So if the ushers will come forward and uh, let's just worship the Lord. Hold on to the bread and the juice and I'll lead you in it. And uh, Let's just worship the Lord and think about our heart.
1: There is a Redeemer Jesus, God's own Son Precious Lamb of God Messiah,
0: about holiness this morning. That's kind of sometimes a word that kind of scares us. But that's what God wants of us. And everything in you that says, I don't want that, you have to understand, that is the world. This is an unholy world. This is a world that doesn't care about the Lord. And it is constantly fighting against us to say, it's not that big a deal how holy you are. In God is sin. Why would you settle? For less than what I want you to have. And, and we're not talking about floating around, acting like super saints. No. We're talking about people that are just filled with this presence. We are content. We accept what comes in our life. We love Him. We love others. Make sure, make sure that you're not settling for anything less. That your desire is, oh God, I want to be as holy as you want me to be. Amen? Well, as we take this bread, what an incredible privilege. I'm so thankful the Lord said, you know, guys, I'm leaving, I'm paraphrasing. Forgive me if it's too literal. But as I leave, I want you as my church, and now it's been happening for centuries, I want you to have a ceremony. And I want you to remember what I did. If you have that piece of bread in your hand, you know it's called matzah. It's called unleavened bread. They don't put any yeast in this bread of course yeast in the Bible was a picture of sin and so we take of this bread it's symbolic of the body of Christ and it has no yeast in it just as his life had no sin in it. so he who had no sin laid down his life for you and I who had a ton of it incredible isn't it and so as you take this bread he just asks you to do one thing He asked you and me to do one thing, and we need to do this individually. As you take it, would you remember your Lord? Remember His life. Remember His body, given for you, broken for you. And so take of the bread now. and In your own heart, just remember Him. And then the cup a tiny bit of grape juice and we don't teach or believe this is literally the blood of Christ it's not it's symbolic of the blood of Christ but again how grateful the Lord said do this continue this church I want you to have a time where you, you take a juice together appropriate we do it together and now we go beyond the body and we go to the blood Of course, the Old Testament constantly said, blood is required. Blood is required. Pointing to the cross. And then Jesus finally would die on that cross. He would shed His blood again. For whose sin? Not His. For our sin. Greater love has no man than this, that He would lay down His life for another. I don't know if we would do that. Jesus did it willingly. He laid down His life, crucified, one of the worst deaths a man can go through. He shed His blood that that blood would forgive our sins. And so as we take of this juice this morning, again, the Lord asks you, remember Him. And as that juice goes down your throat and it covers you inside, would you remind your heart this morning, that the blood of Christ has covered your sins and it continues to wash you. And just say, thank you, Lord. Let's take of the juice.